Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello, hello. Welcome to Broken Records. This is episode 62 of the spin-off of Riot Act podcast, the alternative music podcast, which you can listen to every Friday, wherever you got this podcast from, where we'll be talking about all the things in the alternative music sphere. But we have honed in on one little kernel of an idea and broken away and ran with it. This is where we, that's me, Stephen Hill, hello, and him, Renfrey Deadman. Hello, Renfrey. Say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Hello to the people. This is where we search for the worst album ever made in the history of music ever. That's what we're going to do today. All the albums that we feature on the show, we should say before we get going, are here because of their critical standing, the fan reaction, the context surrounding the record, and sometimes other things like the band themselves or some mad shit that happened. Uh, how are you, Renfrew, by the way? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, I, I'm a little... Uh, I, I went to a gig last night and I drank a little bit too much. I'm going to be oh. honest. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm hungover. I don't have mm-hmm. a headache or anything like that. But you know, when you wake up and you're like, I feel dig a little. Dig at me in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a dig at me from last week. No, look, Cheers. you're allowed to have a hangover. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you wake up and you just feel a bit slow, okay. it's that. So uh, uh, I apologise if fine. I seem a little slow today. You looking, uh, you looking forward as... to this show today, though. I am. I think this is going to be a really interesting episode because this is one of the outliers in terms mm. of there is a very specific story to get into here, and yeah. you have done a big load of the research for this. We've decided mm. to kind of uh, uh, reveal the story to me live on air, kind of thing. Well, not live on air, but yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, and I'm really interested to learn the intricacies of this story because like everyone i think i know the basics of it but intricacies wise and we're going to go into a lot of detail aren't we i mean 10 pages of notes yes there we go yeah so this is going to be Mm. quite quite an epic one um but i am i am intrigued about it before we start a little a little um a little story from my my past before we get into the record when i was probably about 27 28 my auntie for christmas bought me a male grooming kit for christmas right now as if you're watching on youtube you can see there's no hair on my head and it has been like this for many a decade now coming up to two decades sean i am um cheers to my dad's jeans and mel balding (laughs) Uh, appreciate that uh although i did have such a bad haircut it feels like a kind of win in a lot of ways for my for my life i think i I actually look better with no hair i've seen a few photos of you with hair and and it's uh, no it's not the best to be honest i think but any anyway i i digress so my auntie bought me a kind of male grooming kit which featured inside it hair clippers scissors for your hair brill cream and shampoo right all things 
which I did not need. All things which I did not need at all, right? All things that were useless to me. And I thought, well, she knows full well that I don't need those things. Now, Renfrey, when I got this present, did I, A, go, oh, thanks, and then just take it home and go, I wonder why she gave me that, and then forget about it and leave it in the corner to gather dust or give it to one of my friends or whatever? Or did I, B, go, how dare you? <laughs> how fucking dare you? I did not give you consent to buy me this present. You are a fucking piece of shit, and I will lord this over you for the rest of my life. What are those two things do you think is the more reasonable reaction? of those two things we'll get into that in a little bit today we're going to be talking about songs of innocence by u2 the 13th studio album from ireland's legendary stadium rock megasars released or should i say forced upon you on the 9th of september 2014 before we go any further though i should do the flop 20 i really enjoyed i really enjoyed that analogy that was a very good analogy Thank you. I'm going to do the 20 worst albums that we have featured on the show before and unranked. There are 61 records in this list already. One of them is Guns N' Roses' Chinese Democracy, which we couldn't find a place in for. But here are the 20 worst albums that we have covered thus far, starting with number 20, Slick Dogs and Ponies by Louis XIV, Queen and Paul Rogers, The Cosmos Rocks, United Nations of Sound by Richard Ashcroft, Mr. Blobby, The Album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, original soundtrack to the movie of the same name, Eog and Quig by Owen Quig, Six Feet Under's Graveyard Classics Volume 2, Blood, Sweat and Towers by The Towers of London, Vanilla Ice is Hard to Swallow, Cut the Crap by The Clash, Corey Feldman, Angelic to the Core, Philosophy of the World by The Shags, Arsehole by Gene Simmons, Total Zanarchy by Little Zan, Bad Blood by Blood on the Dance Floor, Methods of Mayhem by Methods of Mayhem, True Symphonic Rockestras, The Concerto in True Minor, Double Wide by Uncle Cracker, Crazy Frogs, Crazy Hits, and Broken Side. I'm not a fan, but the kids like it. Still sitting there at number one atop the charts, but it may well be toppled this week who knows who knows we can't say yet i'd say fairly unlikely but very, songs of innocence released or actually shoved in your unwilling face like a willy like a like a like a flasher's willy that you didn't want to see on the 9th of september 2014 i don't like um, that analogy quite as much as the last one but no sure. fair enough <laughs> yeah fair enough now, uh, before we get into it, Renfrey, you like you too, don't you? I, 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 I like you too. I like a certain period of you too. Um, I, I, I particularly like the albums Acting Baby and The Unforgettable Fire. There's a lot of stuff from the what I'm going to vaguely call the post-punk era, which I uh, am into. Um, they're not a band that I adore or anything like that. Um, but I like them and I certainly, I have often been bemused at the reaction to Bono in particular, um, who can do annoying things, but in mm-hmm. comparison to other musicians I can think of who do far more just you know there's so many musician musicians who get away with doing some really quite heinous things and oh it's fine for them but bono mm. tried to be nice to africa what a cunt i don't fully I mean, understand just looking down our list and going oh there's anthony kiedis and his Absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah. having sex with a 14 year old yeah. you crack on with that anthony kiedis yeah. you crack on Bono giving the proceeds of a tribute album to Amnesty International. You fucking cunt. Fucking you fucking 
cunt, you piece of shit. I didn't want the proceeds of that tribute album I bought to go to Amnesty International. You fucking piece of shit. Anyway. I've always found that really bemusing. And I suppose in that sense, I've always found... Well, I mean, I, I guess it's not bemusing, but there's a lo- there's a lot of hatred for what people consider in just just really bland music. It's kind of the Coldplay effect as well, you know, when people go, "Oh, Coldplay are the worst band of the world." It's like, well, they're not. They're just it's just a lot of their music is very very bland, but that seems to bring up such a ridiculous amount of ire in people, um, and it feels really unnecessary to me. But hey. Um, so broadly, though, you, you but like broadly, you too. I, I quite like you too. This bit, period of you two, barely gone in on at all, bar mm. this record. Okay, now, now ask me, what do you think of you two, Steve? <laughs> I love them. I love them more than any other band. I think probably, uh, particularly that period you're talking about. We did a pair of classic. I'm not going to go into this. Don't worry. We did a pair of classic albums on the Joshua Tree and Acton Baby. They were given away for free on our second birthday. Very much inspired, in fact, by the release yes. of this particular album. To be honest, yeah, so, so we were doing a little troll. So if you want to hear exactly how we, well, mainly I, feel about you two as a band, then that gives you a pretty good snapshot of my general feelings basically though i do love them I yeah do love them and i don't and i don't care that you don't think it's cool because you listening your favorite band are a fucking minuscule worthless footnote in compared to you two they are you're Sorry. quite aggressive with how much you like them and you do yeah, enjoy because people are very people are very aggressive about how much they don't like them yes. despite having not listened to them or just being sheep and following the fact that they've been told that they're not supposed to like them yeah. without really listening to them so i i think they deserve an aggressive kick in for that i would say two-thirds of your twitter is you aggressively liking you two um and and <laughs> shoving it in people's faces who hate them uh and i'm uh, playing the long game renfrey because when one of when a member of you two dies much like uh when i you know then and and they as the band split up everyone will suddenly go there'll be loads of outpouring of grief and how great and what an important band they were and a lot of these people who it will take a few years and a lot of these people will suddenly go oh maybe i should actually listen to that old stuff and all this kind of new shit they've been doing over the last however long will melt away and someone will actually one day put war on and they'll go i wonder wonder why anthrax and sepulture and nine inch nails and the white stripes and all these bands that i really really love i wonder why they revered this but i wonder why they like them so much i'm kind of curious and they'll listen and they'll go oh Hmm. oh right Hmm. okay and i do think that would happen now the best u2 stuff is fantastic like yeah. it, 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 yeah. it that's the just best. a fact it is fantastic mm. yeah they're yeah, fucking brilliant they're fucking brilliant but i'm not gonna be getting i mean my thing is always post europa they're kind of rubbish mm. kind of got rubbish and that's fine hey do you know what a load of people like metallica and yeah. megadeth and slayer yeah. and iron maiden uh all of whom i mean <laughs> iron maiden got crap in 1981 for fuck's sake and you still go on about them like they're the best band in the world so let's not yes. like you know that's the, that's the view of Stephen Hill not the view of Riot Act but yes yes yeah yeah I, I, Metallica a band I absolutely adore have not released a record that I've really loved since 1996 mm-hmm. and I'm the same it's just three years earlier with you two you know mm-hmm. um 1993 was the last time they released a great album but in that period from their first album through to Zeropa so I very much view them as uh, pre and post pop yes are the two so when you get to pop I am like oh okay fine and 
it's pretty obvious the reason for this particular record being here, isn't it? Which we're going to get into in a little bit. And I'm sure you listening already know because, you know, you already own this record, don't you? You listen, you actually do own this record. Um, but I think in a good place to start is just to sort of say that I am going into this with, with huge bias, but also with absolutely willing to tell the story as is to be told. Because I don't have... Anyway, when people say, oh, you two are shit, haven't you heard Vert- Vertigo rubbish? And actually, I don't think it is that rubbish, really. But, you know, oh, they don't, you know, don't you think, like, they're just rubbish, bland, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, yeah, they are now, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they are now. Yeah. And I'm willing, and I'm absolutely fine with admitting that. It's just the, you know, it's when people go into the, they are rubbish, full stop. That's what I don't want to do. And they do have previous when it comes to the reason for this record being in here, I think. Because... When it comes to buddying up with Apple Incorporated, uh, 2004's How to Dismantle the Atomic Bomb saw the launch of the U2 iPod. Remember them? Remember iPods? Oh, I remember iPods. I, was, I thought you oh, were yeah. asking specifically, do I remember U2 iPods? Which I don't. Do you remember U2? Okay. I don't uh, remember U2 I iPods, do. but I do remember iPods. Hmm. I do remember the U2 iPods. Okay. And the U2 iPods came Did it come in... with their entire back catalogue on it and you couldn't take it off? <laughs> you couldn't no, no. delete it. It came with it, it came with how to it came with a preloaded version of how to dismantle the atomic bomb. Okay. And it was red and black. It was like had a you know that obviously it was had a it was black and red or red and black. Red on black or black on red, much yeah. like the artwork. The the, the art yeah, the artwork is a photo of the band, but it's sort of the the borders are black and red in a sort mm-hmm. of yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, I can yeah. I can imagine that, yes. Yeah, and so I do remember those iPods being available and they were a bit more expensive and they were a bit more um what's the word I'm looking for? They, they were like yeah, like limited edition limited kind of special edition, release yeah. things. And Vertigo was used extensively on yes. the iTunes advert. I remember very, that. Very very extensively and used on the iPod advert. And for a while they really pushed those U2 iPods. And I think back then, you know, I'm sure the anti U2 contingent of planet Earth moaned and groaned about that too back in the day, but they didn't have social media to kind of vent it on people back then it was just like you probably would say to your mate like i'm not buying the fucking u2 ipod with any album like you just wouldn't buy it right vertigo won the grammy for best rock performance by a group or duo and the best rock song at the 2005 grammys before the band came back a year later and have the album how to dismantle the atomic bomb win all five of the five categories that it was nominated for including best rock album and the coveted best album best album beating late registration by kanye west love angel music baby by gwen stefani um it beat a mariah carey album as well and something else i can't remember what the other one was and we all know the grammys are always right well no, I'm not saying, <laughs> I mean, out, out of those records obviously i i think i think i would struggle to say it's better than late registration i mean it's not and i even would say well, yeah, I don't think it wouldn't even even. I, I consider doing Love Angel Music Baby by Gwen Stefani as a classic album. I think it's yeah. fucking brilliant, that record. Okay. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mm. love it. I think it's maybe a bit of a stretch to call it a classic album at this point, but it was a very, very, very good pop album. Mm. So I think those two are definitely better. But the point is, you two actually went into that not being the favourites at all whatsoever, because I think How Does This Matter of the Atomic Bomb wasn't hugely brilliantly critically acclaimed even though it obviously sold a lot and vertigo and city of the blinding lights were the big big singles from um from that record as well but they were still a big deal in terms of releasing and recording 
new music. And for me, that was the last time I think U2 were a big deal in terms of critically and commercially competing with, I don't like the word relevant artists, but with new zeitgeisty, culturally relevant you know, big artists of the time. It Is that fair? I, I certainly, I mean, to me, it felt like there were, I knew people who would sort of go, you know, that new U2 album, it's actually all right. There's a sort of dirty confession, you know, but like it was the last mm. time that people on mass who weren't already into U2, I think, would kind of admit to liking them at all, if anyone would at all then yeah. you know and I, you know I think that's probably right yeah and mm. that album is okay it's 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 actually all it's right got some all right shit on it i mean it's got some pretty fucking wank stuff on it as yeah well. yeah i remember being pretty disappointed with it even after i think we mentioned all that you can't leave behind which we i've always said the sort of 21st century u2 is not good mm. and it starts it starts with a very polished middle of the road quite poppy record and never really recovers from that yes what i've always thought well minor spoiler um beautiful day is better the the big song from all you can't leave Mm -hmm. is better than any of the songs on this record (laughs) so that i mean that is still remains their best record of this millennium i would say oh do you think so i i would i think i would actually pop how to dismantle an atomic bomb slightly above it but i mean not in a way that i would argue too strongly because i don't feel that passionately uh, about it but yeah i i'm not willing to fucking have that argument i mean you know i was before we started recording today as i said to you on the phone just before we did start recording i was just listening to bono and the edge being interviewed by joe wiley on bbc radio 2 about 30 years of actum baby and they're playing stuff from actum baby on the radio and i'm listening to it and then i've gone in on the last two U two albums, and I'm like, wow, that is mm. that is some drop off. It's it, it is it is a big difference, and actually, that's probably worth pointing out. I mean, we were just comparing, we we're talking about Metallica, um, and whilst I think the drop off for Metallica has been quite big, it, like if you compare it to U two, U two's drop off is far more seismic than Metallica's. It's very very big. Yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah. I can. And U two U two's best stuff is so much better than Metallica's best stuff i guess there is that um i I mean i mean uh, what a ridiculous conversation (laughs) comparing those two artists but yeah fine (laughs) i think there is a lot of comparison to be had you know i mean obviously metallica massively copied the style and look of u2 around the load era didn't they and they you know getting anton corbin in and doing and i think there is that kind of you know is load the sort of metallica's acting baby thing that we spoke about before and you know there is oh yeah yeah like that, that, there that are jewel, you know particularly that, that period yeah, there are sure. through lines i just don't know how i don't know how i would compare with or without you to master of puppets do you know what i mean like i i, mm. I actually genuinely love both of those songs but yeah me too I, which is better i mean it, it feels like it feels like comparing two completely different artistic forms let alone you know they're so well luckily renfrey you don't have to no i don't because i've actually <laughs> written this in the script at all and we've got quite a lot to get through. sorry so yeah carry move on. <laughs> what then happened was the biggest gap in the band's entire career between albums and this is one of the problems i think with 
I guess you'd say, uh, classic artists. Um, as soon as you start leaving them big pauses between records, it becomes harder and harder for your past work to not dwarf you. Do you know what I mean? I think that is one of the big problems, is that if you're not continually putting out music and being there all the time, it's happened with a lot of bands. I mean, we've just mentioned Metallica. I think you could probably, at this point, I would even chuck in your beloved Pearl Jam of saying, you know, like Definitely. you've got, a, you've, you've had two albums in the last, what, 12 years? Something along no. those lines, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's been a long time and I thought the last Pearl Jam album was really great, to be fair, but... The one um, before it, though, was not great. Um, no, so, not great, yeah. No. Uh, uh, and but things get in the... Like, as you get older, other things start taking priority, which I think is perfectly fair enough. Usually family and stuff like that. And if you have a big legacy behind you and you can afford to not work, um, why wouldn't you want to spend time with your family? All that sort of stuff, I think, is totally like fair enough. I get it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But if you're not practising your craft as much you're not going to be writing as good stuff. It's true. It's just mm-hmm. obvious. Yeah. The album No Line on the Horizon came out in 2009 and it was the first U2 album that, when you think of it, doesn't really have one massive definitive single that you could slam into the band's greatest hit set. I think you could literally go through every single record in their career probably up until that point and go well something can slot in there i mean maybe zuropa like i really love zuropa so i might be slightly biased to say that you know i'd really want to hear stay far away so close or um you know numb in there but i know they're not massive massive songs but that might be the only one that's sort of slightly outside of you know the fact that you you know you even if you what are you saying like pops them. what's pops one discotheque 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 mm. yeah I think everybody mm, remembers that song uh, just from the video stupid video and it was you know it was massive at the time mm, okay I'll go with you but um, yeah yeah I mean you know New Year's Day from War Pride from the Unforgettable Fire pretty much the entirety of the Joshua Tree you got one on Acting Baby everybody knows that Beautiful Day that you've already mentioned all you can't leave behind Vertigo on How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb and then I think just about discotheque on pop as well. I mean, that might be the two where you go, oh, you know, like not massive. Yeah. I think everyone would remember, would, would remember, at least remember discotheque. Mm, like, mm, mm. Uh, whereas the biggest hit on um, No, no Line on the Horizon no. was Get Your Boots On, which, which is never going to be a massive song for them. I don't, I, I don't even, so I've not listened to No Line on the Horizon, not actively, and um, Get Your Boots On, I'm not even sure if I've heard that song. Mm. It's not great. I mean, I have to say, No Line on the Horizon might be, it's a little bit of a spoiler here, might be the worst U2 album. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which is funny because I remember someone saying to me, like, oh, I didn't mind No Line on the Horizon. I listened to it the other day. I thought, this is really not good. Really not good at all. And it didn't sell that well for U2 anyway. It went only once platinum in the UK, in the in the US and the UK at a, a quarter of all that you can't leave behind only eight years previously. It sold in the UK and US combined a mere 1.5 million copies in those two territories, uh, which is, you know, a, how are you meant to live on that? How is Edge meant to buy loads of hats with, uh, with just 1.5 million album sales? But they struggled on. There was a struggle. They struggled on. I know you've and... got a lot to get through, but I read mm-hmm. this and I was a little bit like, surely we're talking 
between two so 2004 i think how to dismantle an atomic bomb sold around 10 million is that correct something like that something yeah, like that a lot and then in 2009 what we're saying because the total sales were a bit were higher than that there was something like three yeah that's just like the that. uk yeah that's just the uk and the us so one and a half million in those two territories so they've both gone platinum in both of those countries i mean surely the um entire dismantling of the recorded music industry and the fan and streaming and yada 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 and the fact that in 2009 the music industry was in a completely different place than it was in 2004. 2004, that stuff was beginning to happen. But the whole idea, I think the whole idea of piracy and stuff like that was still quite scary to people in 2004 and they didn't know what they were doing and blah, blah. I think by 2009, it was far, far, far more commonplace. So I know that they were doing a lot of soul searching at that time and going, oh, how do we remain relevant? But I'm just surprised that no one sort of turned around to them and went, oh yeah, there's this really big catastrophe in the music industry at the moment and that's why you probably won't be selling as many albums as you used to. Like, I don't think that is the only reason, but I'm just kind of surprised that they saw this as this huge catastrophe. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yeah. I do know what you mean, but I mean, I would say, you know, just just so you are aware, yeah. um, in 2011, two years after this record came out, Ed Sheeran's, uh, what's it called? Um, Plus, mm-hmm. the first or whatever the first Ed Sheeran album is called, went eight times platinum in the UK, selling 2.4 million copies, which, you know, is pretty fucking amazing. And two times platinum in the US, selling 1.2 million copies as well. And that's a debut album from an artist, admittedly, who has gone on to become a absolutely massive, massive, massive artist. But he's done 4 million uh, copies worldwide that mm. record mm. in 2011 mm. so i think if you were one of the biggest artists from that time you still could sell you know a, a fair amount of records and i guess by u2's regular standards they might not have thought they were going to sell 10 million records mm. worldwide mm. but they would have probably gone well if we if it if it chops in half in 2009 i think you still would think like we're probably going to have to think about like getting half as much as we used to get. Yeah. And they got like a, a tenth. Yeah. True. Yeah. So, you know, um, but that's, that's by, yeah, that's, I think that might have something to do with it. And, you know, I guess you're just used to selling a lot, a lot, a lot of records. Yeah. Aren't you? True. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's all absolutely true. I think the only other thing I'd say with that, though, is um, 2011 selling 4 million copies of an album is very impressive, but mm-hmm. 10 years previous selling 4 million copies, I mean, for a debut album, people would still be like, oh, wow, okay, this is an impressive thing. But, like, in comparison, it's nowhere near as impressive a feat. Oh, yeah, in 2001, I mean, Mm -hmm. you think, like, I think we'll compare it to, say, Hybrid Theory, which sold about 20 million records. Something insane like that, yeah. I think it's Mm -hmm. closer to... 25 or yeah ever be yeah, yeah i yeah. think it's about 25 yeah it was it, that was the highest selling debut i think it still remains the highest selling debut album of the 21st century and yeah i mean there is a suggestion that the music industry rather than youtube's popularity and their lack of commercial appeal um was the problem with the record which you know i i think it's a it's, a, it's definitely a good take but also i mean the band had gone to Morocco to try and make something more experimental than the two massive commercial big hitters that they had just released earlier in the decade. So you've got a very, very, you know, I think all that all that you can't leave behind is a very, like I say, a very polished pop record, which did kind of owe more to the Coldplay-esque, I guess the more kind of, the softer indie 
stuff that was coming through at that time. And there's some all right yeah. stuff on that record. Fine. Not, not Coldplay specifically, though, because, of course, Coldplay, Parachutes. Yeah, it would have been a year year later. Yeah, a Parachutes year was 2001, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but yes, yeah, that soft so, indie stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah embrace. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. the beta band. And the beta band. <laughs> I haven't thought yeah, that ever in a long time. And how to dismantle a bomb was, I guess, an attempt to be more of a big sort of that stadium, stadium rock thing. Act, yes. Yeah. Which, I guess, sort of lays the groundwork and the blueprint for where all of those bands go i mean this is the thing i think we said in our special is that when you moan about oh kings of leon and or you know well how come you're giving you to pass when you're slag off imagine dragons and kings of leon and killers and all those kind of things like well that's because they're being influenced by really bad versions of u2 rather than the early good versions of u2 would be my kind of counter argument to that and how to dismantle the atomic bomb coming out around that time not really much of a surprise that in its wake lots of bands became far more kind of measured and leveled out and just far far less exciting but any anyway that again is a is a different story bono has actually said that that record no line on the horizon they have sort of turned around and gone well we don't mind because we wanted to make a much less commercial record anyway and it's ended up being much less commercial and um in 2006 they had done some sessions with rick rubin and rick rubin had told them to go back to basics like he does to everyone and (laughs) bono said that they might have to uh, evolve and ditch rock and roll on that record and i think the problem with no line on the horizon is what we get is a bit of sort of nothing really you get a kind of nothing record it's not a great record um and while some bands who make those kind of records where you're going oh we want to make something experimental but we also need to go back to basics which is a kind of an oxymoron in itself when you two do that because they've just been so good at writing anthemic pop rock songs for so long when those when some bands sound make a record that sounds confused you get a confused sounding record when you two get a confused sounding record they just sound a bit bland i think and that's the problem it's a bit stale and stagnant and it's less interesting than a band i think who are more ragged and um unsure of what they're meant to be than you two there's a kind of you two seem quite sure of themselves i think do you know what i mean and, yeah and the, so you get something kind of boring um the only i don't want to i mean i do agree with you in the main the only thing i would say is the outlier i think acting baby has its cake and eat it because in eats it oh because, yeah yeah because acting baby is actually for you too a pretty experimental record certainly at that time it threw away a lot of the u2 tropes that they had but they also had massive fucking songs on it as well so but i think in the main what you're saying is right yeah but yeah i mean that is the one time where they were like beset by or kind of plagued by oh shit we don't really know what's going on mm. and the result of that was great yeah. whereas here not so much i think with i think with acton baby they went we are going to make something that no one was saying go back to basics so you've got rick Rubin no. going go back to basics but then you've also got them going oh we need to because i had hoped when i read that i was like well hopefully you you know no, no line on the horizon would be you know post those last two records no line on the horizon would hopefully have been something a bit more akin to acton baby and the only thing it does share in terms of dna with acton baby is that it was meant to have a sister album a zuropa called songs of ascent and they started working on those songs to make this record in 2010 with danger mouse not the cartoon from the 80s but the producer 
and um <laughs> i guess we'll talk about danger mouse in a little bit but everything was delayed and the fact that a lot of the delays happened by all accounts were down to the band saying we are only going to release this record if we are convinced that it is better than no line on the horizon now that to me feels like a pretty fucking low bar do you know what i mean like the bar is low on no line on the horizon and the fact that they said that and yet we still never got to hear that record should be worrying right that should be worrying that you went well we're not releasing it unless we're absolutely sure it's better than this incredibly average record that we've just put out Mm. incredibly average you're like well lads you should be able to do that and yet that album remains unreleased and unheard by anyone Mm -hmm. and that is the first indicator that oh fuck Mm. they're massively running out of ideas what a bummer yes yeah, so in 2010, the Sessions with Danger Mouse were announced, as well as news that the band were working with the likes of David Guetta, Red One, and Will I Am on a dance centric record. Ah, ah. Thoughts on this, Remfrey, working with those sort of people? I, I don't want that. My thoughts, no. my thoughts on that is, is, is that is not what I want. I don't want that. Don't want that. No, I don't, don't want, want Will that. I Am. I don't want Will I Am to do anything really. <laughs> no, not particularly. I don't. I don't. To be honest, even the pe- even putting aside the people, I don't think I want a U two dance record. Well, really. funnily enough, I think um, Acton Baby, having just listened to that documentary at the thirtieth anniversary of, of, of the record, Bono was quoted as saying, apparently said to somebody, "Oh, it's a dense record," mm-hmm. and because he's Irish, tapa de mine and here <laughs> and all that, the bloke who was interviewing him said. <laughs> No, awful. Yeah. The bloke who Apologies to Irish the, listeners. I, yeah, sorry about that, guys. I mean, you get Eog and Quig every week, so, you know, you probably <laughs> should be used to, to it by now. Mugging you off. Um, yeah, he apparently said it was a dense album, and this person overheard him saying it's a dance album. Oh. And then everyone's going, oh, you, you two are making a dance album. They're making a dance album. And then they, we got to this point, and they were like, now we really are going to make a dance album with Will I Am, Red One, David Getter, Danger Mouse. And whilst all this was going on also, they were sort of splitting their time between this and working on music for a Spider-Man musical. Of course. Of course. This sounds like a bit of you, the old Spider-Man musical. (laughs) Well, you say that. Um, I was in New York when it premiered. Yeah. Um, So it's called... Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. That is what it was called, yeah. I remember walking past the... Actually, when um, I went into the theatre to see it, because obviously, you know, it's America, and they do all these things in a really outlandish way, and the foyer, you know, had, like, a huge Spider-Man coming through the ceiling kind of stuff. Um, Tickets for Broadway shows are really fucking expensive. Yeah, wow, expensive. All of the reviews for... I, I might be spoiling something you're about to say, but all of the reviews were absolutely atrocious. For I did not know that. Oh, they were atrocious. Right. It ended up closing on Broadway. Mm, don't quote me on this, but I don't think it was. That. I think it was there for a few months, and then it ended up closing. But I happened to be in New York at the time when it was actually on, and I could have gone to see it, but I went to see Jez Butterworth's Jerusalem instead, which is fucking amazing, but that's not relevant to this at all. Yeah, so um, apparently uh, the official and open night of this in Broadway was the 14th of June 2011, 
Yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 was, it, I was there the end of June 2011. So. And it, it closed on the 4th of January 2014. Oh, well. Actually, okay, a so few years, my bad. Yep. Two, two and a half years, but... It certainly it got bad reviews. Got absolutely stinking Failing reviews. ticket sales, no longer able to get in- injury insurance for the production as reasons of closures. That's right. Someone got injured... Uh, mm. Doing a stunt, and the show had to close quite early on. That was quite early in the run. Yes, and then the insurance went sky high. Yes, yes, I remember. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah. So the production cost $75 million, which is the largest in Broadway history, apparently, mm-hmm. and investors lost $60 million of, of that money. Oh, yes. So I can imagine. Quite, quite a lot of shit going on. Now, Bono and the Edge were writing the music for this. They did the book for it. And there was a little bit of talk about this being released, the music from it being released sort of officially as a U2 album. Oh, okay. Which would have been really weird or like releasing some music from it as a sort of U2 album. And, well, you know, Bono and the Edge were like, yeah, yeah, we should do that. But it was Adam Clayton. I have to say, no, we've not mentioned Adam Clayton yet. I love Adam Clayton. And he's one, he's one man that in this whole podcast, I will go, you just leave Adam Clayton alone. <laughs> leave Adam Clayton out of all this. Adam Clayton was sceptical about it, claiming that the material was far too far from the band's usual work to be considered a U2 album. Adam Clayton there, the voice of reason. Thank <laughs> God for that man. Uh, I, I was just going to say, let's not forget, they, they kind of have... I'm crowbarring this in ever so slightly, but um, hold me, thrill me, uh, hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me from the Batman Forever soundtrack. I mean, that is not. Yeah, a... but that's a soundtrack. I song. know, that's I fine. know, that's not a Batman themed song. <laughs> but yeah, there's just uh, there's a there's a through line of sorts there. Um, if you got if you got a new U2 album and there was a song on it about getting bitten by a spider and then there was one about you know, I'm climbing up a wall and there's one about getting chased by a green goblin and you had Bono singing it all you would be going what this is all Spider-Man stuff then right? to be honest what with you though we- I'd be more interested in hearing that record than than the one that we've been presented with like it probably would Fair. be worse but I'd be more interested in hearing it Mm. so anyway adam clayton you got to blame for not hearing that <laughs> i mean i mean fair play adam clayton i totally understand yeah. where he's coming from but i think that would i think arguably i don't i don't even think arguably that sounds more interesting than what we've got we'll go yeah, into yeah. it but yeah, yeah so after that in february 2011 the band's manager paul mcginnis claimed that the album had been finished and was going to be released later that year again Adam Clayton stepped in and said, the work we did with Red One was very, very exciting. But again, I'm not sure that was the essence of what U2 is good at. We have to do what we do best and we have to focus um, focus on that. And the work we did with Danger Mouse was the closest that came to it. So again, Adam Clayton was like, Paul McGinnis was like, album's finished, it's coming out this year. Adam Clayton said, it's really not. It's not. And interesting. In, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this as well, but interesting. It said the the album that came the closest to it, sort of indicating that it didn't actually quite get there as well. Mm. Yeah, I By agree with. <laughs> June 2012, the band had recorded an album. Um, Danger Mouse during this period actually had to go back to his Broken Bells project, and at this point, there is talk that the record was finished. And that they could have released it at that point. They could have released it in 2012. It was ready to go, but they didn't do that. The Edge said to the Rolling Stone um, that during mixing, 
we found some of the songs falling apart. They hadn't fully arrived. We'd allowed ourselves to think that that was interesting and that that was enough. Um, they had been told whilst working with Rick Rubin in their 2006 sessions that um, he believed the band often used effects to disguise the fact that they didn't have any songs, which is fucking harsh of Rick Rubin to say that, you know, especially considering he worked with American Head Charge. And so... <laughs> they apparently took that to heart and held on to that quite a bit and decided that they weren't ready to release these songs because they weren't proper songs and instead decided to get hold of a bunch of other producers in lieu of Danger Mouse not being available to rejig or rework on the songs. And they got in Ryan Tedder, the vocalist of One Republic, Paul Epworth, who had worked with the likes of Adele and Rihanna, and of course, longtime collaborator Flood to help them finish off the record even like i was a bit like oh danger mouse and a rock and a kind of classic rock band it's going to go one or two ways will i am no david getter no when i hear when you get to the point where you're getting the singer from fucking one republic in that's when i'm like oh lads mm. what are you doing mm. why mm. why yeah i mean why you got any reasons why, Renfrey? You got a nope. single solitary thing that you can think of that would be a, a good idea? What would you... I wouldn't get him in to be a fucking roofer, the bloke from the Republic. <laughs> I wouldn't let him mow my lawn. <laughs> let alone no offence to uh, roofers or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure no, roofing is no. quite a tough thing to do. I would, I, I, yeah, I I'm sure it is. Um, no, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I have absolutely no idea why that would be considered absolutely, a good idea. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, in 2013, the band released two songs from the Danger Mouse sessions as one-off singles. One of them, Ordinary Love, um, from the, uh, the film Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom, which uh, saw them nominated for an Oscar. Don't know if you've seen Mandela, uh, Long Walk to Freedom. I haven't it's got actually. that. It's got this guy in it. Um, you might have heard of him, Idris Elba. You heard of that guy? I've vaguely heard of him. Yeah, he's in. Um... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and they did a one-off song with all proceeds going to an AIDS charity that was aired during the Super Bowl, Super Bowl adverts uh, slot, the expensive Super Bowl mm-hmm. ad slot called Invisible. And at this point, Danger Mouse has gone on record saying that he didn't actually know when the record was going to be released. Not only that, he didn't know if he was still the producer of the record. Sounding very Chinese democracy, isn't it? <laughs> all sounding a little bit Chinese democracy. It's all gone a bit Chinese sort of, democracy. It's gone a bit Chinese. I mean, no, no weird fucking chicken coops or anything just yet. No. But it is this long, protracted, oh my God, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Uh, Something was leaked to the press suggesting that the record wouldn't be released until 2015. But that was put to bed, not by the band, not by their management, not by their record label, not by a producer, but with their partnership with Apple Incorporated. Here it is, Renfri. Here we go. This is why this record's in here. Apple were ultimately the ones who put the deadline on U2 and Danger Mouse came back into the fold to complete the sessions. Uh, They went and did one more session in Malibu, California. But it was Apple who said to U2, release this fucking record now. And they did it. Mm. That is... The power of corporations. Mad, isn't it? Mm. Have we ever had this before? Have we ever had somebody who is completely outside of... The band or the music industry, really? I mean, Apple aren't outside of the music industry. Mm, iTunes and, mm, you know, mm. uh, you know, iPods. Well, it's not outside of the music industry, but they are not a record label. They are have not we, a 
record an album an artist management label it's insane they're a technology company and yeah. they're, they're a technology company who have made massive strides in music and literally i mean let's face it apple have changed the way or apple have been a massive part of changing the way that we listen and consume music on mass so from that point of view yes they are part of the music industry but but yes i understand what you're saying it is a giant technic uh technical corporation who are telling this band what to do i mean that i guess that's just an not indication. just this band let's just say well, not just this band the the biggest band in the world pretty much yeah one off certainly um and and uh yeah i it's quite mad it's sort of uh, it's sort of i mean that's an indication of how corporations are kind of taking over i mean we could go into all sorts of areas with this but uh you've seen it with politics and stuff like that how politicians are being kind of overrun by corporations and stuff like that uh, the the power in corporations now is pretty immense so really it isn't surprising but this is an indication of that happening absolutely yeah yeah it was estimated that uh, in that time during this last session that they had before finishing the record you two had 50 odd songs to choose from 50 songs so wow. i imagine we're going to get some kind of weird 20th anniversary box set <laughs> uh, that will be forced upon you i'm sure they wangled it down to 25 and then to the songs that you hear on this record. Bono said, Rumour has it that we made a U2 album in the last five years. We have. We've made several. We just didn't release them because we were waiting for something that would be as good as the best we've ever done. Needless to say. Etc, <laughs> etc. Et in the days leading up to the Apple product launch event on the 9th of September 2014 in California, there were rumours abound that you 2 would be performing. This was denied by the band. There was another rumour that the band's new album would become available preloaded on the new iPhone 6. Those were the rumours that were sort of coming around. And then at the event on the 9th of September, which saw the launch of the Apple Watch and the new iPhone, U2 appeared and played the song, the opening song from this record, The Miracle of Joe Ramone. They were then joined by Apple CEO Tim Cook to reveal that the band's new album would be released on the Apple Store for no cost that day. So as that finished, there we go. Bono said, it's a gift from Apple to all their music customers. Uh, He also said that the group wanted to get the album out to as many people as possible because that is what our band is all about it was immediately added to the purchase section of all Apple users' iTunes and began the the worldwide instant opt-in, you have to have this download straight away. The Edge called that incredibly punk rock. I think The Edge has maybe been, uh, I don't know what he's got under that hat, (laughs) but (laughs) it's something which is rotting his brain away. Because... I don't think that that's very punk rock at all, really. Like, I, 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 I get why he try, why he's assuming, and what he's kind of saying that he thinks that is punk rock. I actually don't think that's very punk rock at all. Going with a massive corporation and just going, there you go, there's our album. Um, uh, the case for the defence. Um, bloody hell. Who thought you'd be doing that? I know. Well, I'm doing a devil's advocate, to be honest, because I do agree with you. But in the case of the defence, 
I think it's punk rock in the sense that no one had ever done it before. Um, so I can understand that, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, having the massive corporation behind you does kind of totally undercut any punk rock credentials in terms of that. I mean, <clears throat> you could argue that it's a punk rock thing to do because I am certain that you two are aware of their reputation and aware, like they're not idiots. I'm sure Mm. they're aware of their reputation for people, a lot of people actively despising them. And you Mm. could argue it's a punk rock move because I think they knew full well that a lot of uh, hysteria would be kicked up about this, which of course was all, uh, all of the people who complained were feeding into the U2 machine by moaning about it publicly. They were giving them publicity for this record. And I think when you look at the amount, I mean, I'm I'm sure you're going to go on to the amount of people who listened to it, you know, in the first few days and all that sort of thing. For an album released in 2011, no, when was this album released? 2014. 2014. It's astonishing numbers. Whatever way you slice it, if you're looking at this as a marketing campaign, there is an argument to say that the Songs of Innocence marketing campaign is the most successful of the 21st century for an album. Well, it could have been, I guess. I mean, it was available to 119 countries and 500 million users. Tim Cook called it the largest album release of all time. According to Apple, 33 million people listened to, streamed or downloaded the album in the first week of the release. And by the end of the month, 81 million users had downloaded it and 26 million people had listened to the album in its entirety. Which is a lot. And that is a lot. Well, you're talking about, I mean, when you when we're talking about, I know that this is a different thing because I'm comparing it to album sales. And, you know, the, these are, you know, but if you're talking about just trying to get your music out there, we're talking about, you know, I mean, ACDC's Back in Black's total certified copies is 29.6 million. Uh, Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard, Bodyguard soundtrack is 32.4 million. It's bigger than Meatloaf Bat Out of Hell, 21.7 million. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, 24.4 million. And this is something which is matching or even bettering those massive sales. Now, I appreciate it is not the same thing because for those sales, people actually went out, put money down and picked up a copy. But in terms of just getting your music out there, it is the most successful album of the century. With those numbers, I, 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 or, or it's, or it's arguably one of the most mm. successful, and and that is really difficult to deny. And mm. like I say, all of the, I, I, I don't think they were aware just how much, <laughs> maybe how angry people were going to get. But I'm sure at first they were very happy that people were getting angry about it and discussing it because you know it's that no publicity is bad publicity thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I all, think all publicity is good. Publicity all publicity is good. Publicity, what publicity. What I usually say, thank you. And and <laughs> and <laughs> I did say I'm a bit slow today. And I think I think you know I, I think there is an argument and there is a case to be put forward that up to a point, as a marketing campaign and a marketing campaign alone, th- 
this was incredibly successful and the reason it was as successful is because of the the hatred because i also i was also thinking about this and i was like is there another band that could have done this? And I'm sure there are a few, but it's difficult to think of them because the the love-hate response to you 2 is actually part of the reason why they're a perfect band to do this with. Um, because they... Coldplay? Yeah, Col- I mean, Coldplay would be a good shout. But you can't have any... I don't think you can have anything too heavy. I don't think, I don't think a corporation would have gone along with a Metallica or anything like that. I don't think... No. I don't think they would have, you know, gone along with that. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I, th- I think in terms of that love-hate relationship and stuff, like, you do need something like you two in order to make that work i think so in many ways it is a very smart i'd go as far to say a genius marketing campaign i mean the people who were initially the most angry about it it seemed to be were other artists so patrick kearney from the black keys said that you two devalued their music completely and saying that it sends a huge message to bands that are just struggling to get by. I think that what that they were thinking it's super generous of them to do something like that, which they probably were. Nick Mason from Pink Floyd says that it does devalue things. Music has been horribly devalued by giving it by being given away. It's funny that they didn't sense some of that. It's been the big story of the twenty first century, music being devalued. And finally Keith Nelson from Buck Cherry had said that the event had sent a message to everyone that music is free and that's disturbing. It's easy to do that when you're a multi-millionaire billionaire and money really isn't something that you worry about. But when you're a working rock and roll band and you count on every dollar, it's disappointing to see somebody do that. Bono himself said that the band were not giving the album away for free and in fact totally disagreed that music should be given away for free and claimed that Apple had paid him, there's not a number, but rather handsomely for Mm. the purchase of the record which apple then decided to distribute to all of its customers i can believe him yeah i can i can fully believe him Mm. i guess you know um apple aren't going to want to buy everyone's album they're certainly not going to want to buy a buck cherry album no you would like no no. you would like to you you, you would hope anyway (laughs) and um I also yeah, I also remember the same arguments being trotted out when um, Radiohead did in Rainbows, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not I'm not in total disagreement with um, what those bands are saying, um, and I think there is an argument to say that it sends out a message that uh, you know the, the devaluation of music and all that all that stuff, but. I think both Radiohead and U2 were just reacting to something that had already happened. I think when people place the blame on... I think it happens more with Radiohead than it does with U2 because Radiohead, the Radiohead thing was uh, seven years prior, wasn't it? Or Mm. something like that. Um, But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't... To say, oh, it's Radiohead's fault that music is free now, which I have heard some people saying is so naive they were they were literally just reacting to what was happening at the time um tom york then did it again when he released um oh that album title i can never remember tomorrow's modern boxes something along those lines where he uploaded it to torrent sites and of course torrent sites are where people go to pirate music you know it's all just kind of like a comment on what's happening and trying to experiment and do things and being aware that they're in a position that other bands aren't in and so they can experiment and they can try new things 
but they're not saying this is the way that everyone should do it you know it doesn't immediately force buck cherry to do the same thing at all you know yeah of course as has been proved uh, in the intervening years because no one else well, has done it since <laughs> we'll get into the kind of aftermath i think you probably know what's happened in the aftermath because it almost feels like a quaint little trick that would just be like oh these days it would be you know irrelevant if any band did it really but paul quirk of the entertainers resource association said the rest of u2's back catalog sales dwindled hugely in the aftermath of this release um uh, he said, this vindicates our view that giving away hundreds of millions of albums simply devalues music and runs the risk of alienating 60% of the population who are not customers of iTunes. Giving away music like this is as damaging to the value of music as piracy. Um, I mean, you know, that is an extreme view. I think it's a stretch. I think that's a yeah. stretch. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously people who were on an early version of well it's not even an early version Spotify had been around a good five years six mm-hmm. seven years since then but there were a lot of people who were you know starting to sign up for Spotify and yada yada and they probably went well, we we can stream it anyway but we're not going to exactly but and but also in 2021 as we're talking now I mean if you look at the um, Netflix model and the Amazon Prime model and blah 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 you know there are so many shows that are exclusive to those platforms and that kind of thing has kind of become the norm and it works there it works there it doesn't in the music industry for reasons which I think are immensely complicated and I'm I'm not even going to pretend that I fully understand them because I really don't Um, I, I think it basically comes down to the fact that netflix are actually as an example making shows as our amazon prime blah, blah blah you know they're actually putting money into it and making it and that isn't really happening with the audio streaming services mm. that's a re- that's a incredibly rudimentary and basic reason as to why the two things don't work i think i mean but that could be debated for a very long time and that would be an entirely different show but um yeah uh I think it's become far more of the norm. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, again, up for debate. Well, we, we'll talk but. about people's reaction to it now as opposed to people's reaction to it then. Uh, a lot of people were unhappy that the album was just automatically downloaded onto their iTunes without any consent, which, you know, like, already quite funny when you can... A little detail when you consider, let's say, just how we consume music now, isn't it? But the Washington Post called it rock and roll as dystopian junk mail. Slate magazine, Slate magazine, sorry, called it extremely unsettling that content and interests are no longer requisite for owning an album, only corporate prerogative. And an article in Wired said that delivery, the delivery mechanism amounts to nothing more than spam with forced downloads. Bono himself said that he was unaware of the auto-download option that gave so many people the album on their phone or their, their Mac immediately and was sympathetic to those people who weren't interested in, in the record without ever really apologising for it, saying, we wanted to deliver a pint of milk to free people's front porches, but in a few cases it ended up in their fridge on their cereal. People were like, I'm dairy-free. I guess, like I say... <laughs> We'll talk about how people feel about all of that now and why, looking back at that now, it does, even in 2014, it doesn't really feel like that long ago to me, 2014. But and but then when you think of the reaction then and probably what the reaction would be to something like this now, you do go, oh, you've 
this is mad. This mm. is kind of mad. But anyway, we will get onto that. It's, it's, uh, it's also very quickly. It's also down to more. That's more Apple's thing than YouTube. Uh, it's than YouTube's yeah. thing. Like that's an iTunes yeah, thing because I mm. like Apple was so obsessed with everything syncing up and blah blah blah. And uh, I remember like I had iTunes at the time and it didn't automatically download for me because I had selected an option where I asked for that to for things not to automatically download unless I asked them to. But I think the stand. I think. You have to select that option. So all the people who complained that it did download, it's just because they didn't know how to use iTunes properly, basically. Yeah. The album has a score of 64 out of 100 on Metacritic. Not bad. That's based on 32 scores. Only three of those scores are negative. So it becomes more and more clear as to why this record's on it, as you probably already knew. Rolling Stone gave the album five stars out of five saying no other rock band does rebirth like you two no other band certainly of youtube's duration commercial success and creative achievement believes it needs rebirth more and so often but even by the standards of transformation on 1987's joshua tree and 1991's acting baby songs of innocence u2's first studio album in five years is a triumph of dynamic focus renaissance 11 tracks of straightforward rapture about the life-saving joys of music drawing on u2's long palette of influences and investigations of post-punk rock rock industrial electronics and contemporary dance music nme gave it two stars and said like a rail replacement bus service the weak tracks seem to go nowhere and last for absolute sorry seem to last fucking forever and go absolutely nowhere volcano and raised by wolves aim for the spectacular widescreen rock you two are known for but fall flat but it doesn't matter what they're giving away the fact that it's free makes it seem cheap and on this evidence they've devalued their own brand because quite frankly this is a serious misstep that might win a week's worth of good publicity but could foreshadow a year's worth of bad q gave it four stars saying some veteran rock acts write a memoir in order to make sense of their origins bono has chosen to sing one from this autobiographical precision all of the album's strengths flow mojo gave it nine out of ten saying the result is their best and most thematically complete album since acting baby by turning towards their past you two have found their way back to the future the new york times gave it four stars saying the album is a blast of discoveries hopes losses fears and newfound resolve in lyrics that are openly autobiographical it's also a blast of unapologetic arena rock and cathedral scale production equally gigantic and detailed in the music that carries them spin gave it seven out of ten saying of course they've been developing the record for five years so it's hardly going to be topical yet in a way so the mood of songs of innocence seems more apropos than anything more preaching beseeching or god bothering god bothering might have been uh the guardian gave it three out of five saying nevertheless songs of innocence isn't a bad album as such they're the only person who'd agree with cook's suggestion that's tim cook uh, the apple ceo uh, suggestion that the miracle of joe ramone ramone amounts to one of the most incredible singles you've ever heard is someone who hasn't heard many singles detached from that excitable assessment however it's actually a really good exploration of adolescence alternately sardonic i've got music so i can exaggerate my pain notes bono at one point and bullishly uneasy pitchfork gave it 4.6 out of 10 i'm going to read a fair bit Mm -hmm. from the pitchfork review because this is broken records and we are trying to find you know the kind of the the kind of counterpoint all of those are pretty positive really yeah pretty positive youtube being youtube you two being you two they've taken that strategy one step over the line into indisputedly queasy territory aligning with their old friends apple to insert the new album songs of innocence into all of our libraries without consent by updating the old columbia house record club scan to the digital age you two and their 
Cupertino buddies have created a new avenue of opt-out cultural transmission, removing even the minuscule effort it takes to go to the website and click download. That U2 would willingly play corporate house band at a watch announcement to achieve this rollout in 2014 surprises exactly nobody. The album release was even framed by Bono himself as a 10th anniversary celebration of a commercial. But the insistent mode of distribution says a lot about the band's addiction to their uh, addiction to attention in their 28th year. Part of the DNA of this band has always been to get has always been the desire to get our music out to as many people as possible. Bono wrote after the commercial squib of 2009's gloomy no line on the horizon. Everything about Songs of Innocence seemed desperate to be the global cultural experience fix you two need to survive, even if it means giving the album away for free. Accordingly, the music itself aims for a one-size-fits-all, vaguely inspirational tone with a lean approach to details, despite the press kit assertion that it's all very, very personal. So, a song about Bono meeting his wife is given the non-committal title of song for someone and a song called the troubles isn't a callback to the prolonged northern ireland conflict that inspired their first great song but a bunch of self-pitying platitudes rolling stone named it album of the year in 2014 it was the 14th best album of the year according to the telegraph the 33rd best album of the year according to mojo and the 44th best album of the year according to q it was nominated for the best rock album at the grammys that year the LA Times named it the worst album of the year. It landed at number six on the UK album charts, which is the band's lowest placing in 33 years, and number nine in the US Billboard Top 200. It was the first album not to top the charts in Ireland and Canada since The Unforgettable Fire in 1984, but it did go to number one in the Czech Republic, Croatia, Belgium, Holland, France, Italy, Poland, and Portugal, and top 10 in 14 other countries. It has gone silver in the UK. That's 60,000 sales. It hasn't been certified in the US. But with all that being said, and actually a pretty decent critical reaction, one of the most positive critical reactions we've ever had Some to a record. Absolutely insane critical reactions there, to be honest. Yeah. Renfrey, what do you think of Songs of Innocence by U2? um the album itself yeah because you do actually kind of forget it is actually an album sometimes <laughs> don't you? yeah this is the thing this is why this feels like such an unusual broken records because there's just so much around this the album itself is the least exciting and the least interesting thing about this entire story everything surrounding the album is really it's really genuinely fascinating and i actually do to an extent i do applaud you two for trying something different and i do i think the thing that people forget when they when they say oh these bigger bands aren't supporting the smaller bands um when they try these things i think in a weird way they are because if they get it right then that's a model that smaller bands can use later on as well and and i mean they might be forced into that position but it's not you two who put us into that position it's not radiohead who put us into that position it's a combination of factors the fact that record industry the record companies were charging silly money for albums for a long time the proliferation of the internet and the fact that we had this means of um exchanging data over the internet and that data could be 
in the form of MP3 files, MP4 files, whatever, uh, and piracy. You know, it's it, it's a combination of so many factors, and to boil it down to one thing and go, well, that's the reason, is just looking at a very complex situation and putting a very basic uh, reason for it behind it. I think. Um, can I just say? Can I just say before you go any further? Mm. I've just asked you after we've done all that what you think of the album. Oh, no, 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 went, no, no. The album's the least interesting thing about it. And then gone back... I mean, but it is, isn't it? It's like you you cannot even... The problem with this record is, is that it would have had to have been magnificent. Yes. It would have to be like a U2 career best yes. for us to, to, to not get in here. And what we've got is it's like it's barely... E- the music here is barely even a talking point. Absolutely. I mean, you, di- you didn't even mention, oh, it's, it's you know, it, it's the least interesting thing you've not said what it sounds like no you know we we, we haven't even thought about considering it's a dance centric kind of u2 album that's that's it and then straight away it's back to oh but you know the, the industry and blah 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 and that is i mean for a band who you know for me who have released some of my favorite like a great deal like some of my like my favorite music ever 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 mm. for the for the for the actual album itself to be for them to work on it for five years and it just be like, Bland. oh yeah, there is, there, there is, oh shit, yeah, th- this album is actually music. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's mad. Well, it is, I mean, to be honest, I listened to this album for the first time less than 24 hours ago and to be totally honest with you, and this isn't the reason that I went back into the story behind it, but I can barely remember anything about it. That's like, it's just, it's just very, it's just very, very bland. There's, there's points where it isn't even a bad record, um, it, I, and, and I certainly don't think as an album it's a broken album. Like there's plenty of things that are really, really nice about it, which I'll go into in a minute. But one thing I will say, I think um, In Rainbows and Songs of Innocence are two albums that you can compare in the fact that it's big bands trying a new way to release music, and uh, there was an absolute you know catastrophic flurry of opinions and comments on it at the time people still talk about radiohead in rainbows and people don't talk about songs of innocence and the reason for that is because songs of innocence is just dull it's just a really dull record and it's just really boring it has very little to recommend about it there's actually a, a, a piece that came out two years ago regarding the release of surprise albums and it is about how radiohead are the only band to have ever got that right and it mentions this record it mentions a couple of prince albums and the beyonce album and it was like the surprise release album never works never works for anyone it's only ever worked for radiohead the only ones who have ever done it right and i think i mean i don't know if that's completely true Mm, i'm not sure i'd agree with that i mean i've not read the article but yeah but if it's that or if it's that or in rainbows i mean obviously in rainbows is significant of a stratospherically significant higher quality than this record but a large part of the reason why in rainbows worked is because in rainbows is a good album this is the thing all the hullabaloo that happens around it and stuff like that 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 floats away and that goes away and what you're left with is the music and you know people like i say well 
seven years later, no one really discusses Songs of Innocence at all because musically there is very little to actually talk about. I put it on yesterday and, you know, I put these albums on and start making notes and it wasn't until the fourth track that I made a note because there was just nothing to say on it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just... Well, it, I mean, you know, for, for a song that's like The American of Jamie Ramone, which opens it, I mean, the way aware of it, it's like, fucking hell, it sounds like Imagine Dragons. It's like, you invented yeah. this. Don't copy people who are doing a crap version of the thing that yeah. you, of you not being at your best. I mean, lovely sentiment to write a song about how great it was to have seen the Ramones, but, you know, it's not a very good tribute to his memory, to be perfectly honest. I'm just going to go through all of the songs. I'm uh, amazed that, that you're notes. even able to, to be honest, because I had very well, little to say about most of them. Ev- every breaking wave sort of tries to be with or without you, but like a Coldplay version of it. I noticed the With or Without You the comparisons yeah. and I didn't like them. No. no. California builds in something quite nice but it's very beige and it's sort of 21st century pop standard uh, U2. Not the worst thing ever. Song for Someone again like mm-hmm. I said in the review is about Bono's wife and I think it has a half decent solo from The Edge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Iris at least sounds like U2 and then the chorus comes in and it's a very bad chorus it sounds like the it sounds like lonely island doing an impression of you two yeah but they've only ever listened to imagine dragons so they've just been told what you two sound like rather than what they actually sound like i think it's really Um, interesting that you say iris sounds like you too because it's the first and i believe only i might have got that wrong but it's one of the only times that the edge is using a delay effect on Mm. his guitar and it's like oh okay you have to rely on that in order to sound like you too basically but yeah yeah uh volcano kind of threatens to be a rockier one and then never, and then never abs- explodes yeah. absolutely bottles it absolutely yeah. bottles it and i thought there was sort of a, some sort of potential within that song which was not realized yeah, raised by wolves is sort of okay i'd say the bar is very very low but at least it's got some kind of dynamic build but then when it kicks in it never again it doesn't kick in it's so neutered i thought the build was actually quite good and there's a kind of scar bit at the start of cedarwood road but it's not scar it's way too clean and clear and boring again probably one of the better songs on the record but quite boring i was about to say i mean if we had to rank these songs Cedar Cedarwood Road is my quote unquote favorite song on this album, but I'd still say it's a f- f- five out of ten song. Yeah, I I would say the only song that I kind of Seem like a baby tonight has a bit of craft work in it. It goes for a bit of Zuropa, mm-hmm. touch of the Zuropa. If they weren't very good with keeping up with with the modern trends of the time, but I actually think that that song when the guitar stays out of it. Because the edge comes in and makes it sound really bland and boring, weirdly. But mm. I actually think that that is an all right song, but it's it's fine. It's just fine. Like you say, it's a five or six out of ten. This is where you can reach me now. Again, a little electro drum and piano opening. I thought we were going to get something half decent when that came in. And the guitar came in. The Edge is having a stinker on this album. He really is. The Edge yeah. is having an absolute stinker on this album. Mm. The vocals are really rubbish as well. Mm. No hook, bad lyrics, really overblown, pompous, like another Imagine Dragons bullshit song. Mm. And the troubles with um, the last song with the Swedish singer Likely, who I'm not familiar with her work, not that keen on searching out if this is my first sort of like uh exposure to her mm. to be perfectly honest yeah. sounds like it's going for a kind of bond theme vibe adam clayton 
again i actually play some quite nice and interesting notes in underneath all of this mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. uh the song is weak and yeah. when it's called the troubles i'd expect it to be a like, thing said but it's not rock bands don't let danger mouse and one republic and will i am and david getter near your fucking music ah do not let them near near it now look. i mean i'm gonna say quickly before we go on right. adam clayton and larry mullen at least sound like themselves a bit on this record mm-hmm. at least those two for the most part of the record sound like themselves you hear a lot of that that try that kind of rhythmic drum tattoo thing that uh, that larry mullen does that kind of militaristic beat you can hear that a fair mm-hmm. bit it's mm-hmm. not great it's not surrounded by anything great but he like, keeps a steady backbeat behind it as he tends to do i think adam clayton occasionally writes some quite good bass notes on it everything else no absolutely mm. not mm. no the only thing i was going to say in regards so i i've been very very positive about um danger mouse as a producer in the past and i do really really like his work a lot the only thing that i will say i mean we've had this a few times where there's a big album has come along which has had a lot of money put behind it because it's from a big band and all that kind of thing i do i really do like danger mouse's production generally i think it's really sumptuous and really big and i think there are a few things on this record there's a few moments where you get sort of backing gospel singing and stuff like this or or bigger rounder instrumentation which i wasn't strictly expecting um from you two i mean, it might have come from you two but they feel like very danger mousey tropes and i think the thing with this record is i think the production is really nice and i don't think the production is the issue i don't think it's the production that is neutering the songs i think it's the songwriting that's the issue there's the, the songs are just not very good the songs are not very good but in the occasions when it builds to something and then it kicks in it kicks in like a pop song as opposed to a indie rock or a rock but do you know what i mean like it shouldn't mm. be doing those songs that i mentioned where it's like oh it never quite kicks in those guitars should be coming in with more force than they do and i think that is don't know whose choice that was but mm. somebody's chosen and actually if you listen to the red hot chili peppers album that danger mouse did there is a similar thing here where the guitars are just piss weak well, I mean, I th- I think the reason for that is because Danger Mouse is bringing in other elements as well. And I think some of those, because those other elements are a little bit off kilter and a little, I, I find that really interesting. I don't, you know, he's not trying to rely on the guitars. I, I think, uh, again, I mean, this is very... Yeah, but when, they, when they're called for, they're called for. Do you mm, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... there's... Doing, they're doing dynamically those things. Let's not go, oh, we're trying to do something different, so let's completely get away the thing which make, will make that song dynamically interesting. Because mm, mm. you're still writing a big rock chorus. You've just decided to make it not big or very rocky. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we're never going to know specifically if that was a U2 decision or a Danger Mouse decision. I certainly think both The Getaway and this record are quite um relatable uh, are quite similar in many ways to me in that like the getaway to me is an album that is actually for my money pleasant to listen to from a production standpoint and maybe that's just because i really like what danger mouse does as a producer i don't know i think he's a producer who absolutely puts his stamp on things whether for better or for ill but i find this similar in that like i didn't find this a struggle to listen to at all and i don't find the getaway a struggle to listen to it's just that those songs what what 
Danger Mouse is working with are very bland, not very interesting songs. I certainly yeah. think... Yeah, I, he is a good producer. He's a great yeah. producer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. they are bland. It's not a struggle to listen to. I think this is the sort of album that you could listen to another album while this album was on. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You could put this on to listen to and go, oh, it's not a struggle to listen to. I think I'm going to listen to something else. Well, yeah. I could, put yeah. Fi- I could put the Unforgettable Fire on in the background of this and just listen to that while this is on. Yeah. Because it doesn't really sound like anything at all. And yeah. when people say, like, oh, you two are bland and blah, 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 like, yeah, I mean, God, I, you would never get, I, I think that's in the main, that's nonsense, but I would never disagree that, I mean, this, this is, is yeah. definitely bland. This is? super bland but then it's like saying oh you know dave mustaine's not a good guitarist because i've i've heard 13 and super collider and you know he, he doesn't do very good he yeah. doesn't do metal riffs at all yeah it's like well you're not listening to the right stuff are you yeah, 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 yeah. but anyway that's getting off board yeah it's not a great record again yeah you're right i mean danger mouse is a good producer um and has done some great things and does put his stamp over stuff but i do think that if you want if you as a if, if you as a rock band if you two were going to make a dance a full blown dance album just say to the edge take the distortion off completely let's not have any guitars on it at all I think there's an argument there because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of guitars on Zeropa you know no exactly hardly any, hardly any guitars on Zeropa and I think it's a much better record and mm. obviously like it sounds as a product of its time mm. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The, the songs are much better. And I don't think they ever wrote any songs that really called for let's let the guitar lead this. Well, there are a few times in this record where it's kind of building up and you can... And then and then a distorted guitar comes in, but it's not just really distorted and it's not really... And that might be fine for people who don't care about rock music or don't care about guitars and stuff like that. But you and I are used to hearing that. And we'll never know, but I think it's one of the it's one of the big problems. I mean, like you said, like the songwriting's bad, and the Edge is having an absolute nightmare on this record. Mm. He's having a fucking nightmare, having uh, the worst day of his life. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to repeat points too much, but just in Danger Mouse's defence, I think going to the guitar and then making that a distortion, distorted part, blah blah blah. That is the. Um, that is the most obvious thing to do. And the reason why I personally admire, one of many reasons I personally admire Danger Mouse as a, as a producer is because he doesn't go for the obvious. But the thing is, is that's only going to work if the material that you're working with is yeah, good. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so true. I, I actually, I do, I do understand what you're saying, but I do think that is more... I think the the, the problem lies with the fact that, you know, the the songwriting is the equivalent of the script for a film. If you're working with... And and Danger Mouse is just the director, I guess, in a weird way, as a producer. That's sort sort of the role. I mean, that's a bit of a basic way of putting it, but you know what I mean. Mm. And you've got... Uh, God, can I compare Danger Mouse to a Spielberg? I don't know. You've got a Denny Villeneuve or someone like that working with a shit script. You know, like it, it's the the, mm. the the stuff that they're working with is really boring. I think as a result, like whilst it is boring, it sounds really nice. I really like the sound of this record i just don't like the songs on this record which is exactly how i felt about the getaway by red hot chili peppers as well i really like the sound of that record but the songs are just crap and that's basically what we've got here 
Pretty much, yeah. So we'll come to rank it in a minute. We should do the aftermath. I mean, in the years, as we sort of teased a little bit already, this is where we can get into it. In the years since the album was released, the world has changed and the culture of streaming that we are now fully, fully in on means that we basically do have every single album on our phone the day it comes out, whether we want it or not. That trick that you 2 pulled in 2014, like I say, seems kind of quaint today. It's mad, but, you know, people still moan about this record you said like no one ever mentions it people still go remember that time when you two fucking tried to voice i've never forgiven you two for foisting their album upon me in the same way as people still give lars ulrich shit uh for napster even though he was right you know you two have just ended up doing a thing that now everybody does isn't the difference you know when you say you have stuff on their phone i i i thought the difference was the fact that you know if if you didn't change the settings in your itunes the songs automatically downloaded to your phone so that they were actually on your phone taking up space and that's not how streaming culture works that that's actually totally different unless you pre-save it or ask to download it i thought yeah, that's maybe. what people were but, taking offense yeah at. maybe but it's 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 hardly like i mean I, you know I, I mean i agree of all the things to take of all the things to moan about in the world like if you're complaining about that then you've got a really cushy life as far as i'm concerned oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like well, really? to go back to go back to my thing at the start of this i mean well you get you get stuff going oh this has been added to your you know new music added to your library it's added to your library i mean yes okay it took up fucking what fucking probably 100 um, megabytes 100 megabytes or something on your phone like oh no and you had to go i don't want this or you didn't want to listen like you know and i find it funny to see people going like oh well you know it's just the the point isn't it like i didn't want you know you two are shit and i don't want them on my phone and people who like we came as romans and akon and you me at six would be saying this it's i think you've got bigger fucking fish Fish to to fry fry. if you're worried worried about if you're worried about having bad music on your phone i mean you should sort out pretty much everything like yeah i just click on your profile and see you've been listening to to fucking kesha you stupid cunt like what are you on about you listen to some fucking far worse stuff than you two like oh boohoo you've got an album by a band not a, not a good album admittedly but yeah. you finally got something which isn't a band who aren't artistically moribund in yeah. your fucking playlist like you see kind of people downloaded like oh no it, it, it might if i put shuffle on a u2 song might come on and break between fucking atreyu and bts well yeah <laughs> Oh well, God! You might have to listen to something which isn't shit for once. You but fucking the, cunt. Well, this is shit. Let's not let's not piss around. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is shit. Yeah, this is shit. You, yeah. But you wouldn't. Um, the the other thing, you could delete the album from your phone straight away. So you so you could delete it so that it wasn't taking up that space. I think something that people got really riled about is the album stayed in your iTunes uh library whether you liked it or not but if you deleted the album and you were listening locally it and you put it on shuffle well, I, it wouldn't come up i deleted it because i mean it, it downloaded onto me I, I remember listening to it when it came out i was like oh you two album i might listen to this i listened to a few bits i was like oh, fuck that and then i deleted it yeah. and i deleted it. it's gone yeah. it's not on my itunes library anymore yeah it's literally i mean it would it would take people longer to compose a tweet complaining about it yeah. than it would to actually just delete the fucking record what they'd rather do yeah 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 yeah. i mean i mean i i half understand having a library full of stuff and you've got all things that you really like and you put all the artwork up there i'm like i'm a real stickler for like doing that kind of thing because i have a sort of uh I, i just like things to be in their right place and look like that and if there's an album that i don't want on there 
I can understand why that's annoying, and initially it was, but then there was this whole thing because people moaned about that. Uh, you could, you like, you can take it off your iTunes yeah. library now if you so yeah, yeah. choose to. So, and that's fine with you, with your impeccable taste, Renfrey. But if you've got an all-time low album on there anyway, <laughs> I really think you should maybe take that off first as well. Uh, anyway, as I said, in 2016, Consequence of Sound did an article, as I said, about Radiohead being the only band to have successfully released a shock album. And they said of this record, You two and Apple deserve credit for thinking ambitiously, but they overestimated the band's relevance with fans, and many felt like the automatic download constituted an invasion of privacy. In an era in which music consumption is centred around access and choice, nobody wants to be forced to do anything. So, oh my god! I mean, oh my goodness me! There's a lot to to invasion of privacy. The <laughs> from your on your iPhone, fucking hell! The amount of things that Apple do that genuinely are an invasion of privacy that you agree to when you when you when you see you know the terms and conditions comes up which no one fucking reads because mm-hmm. they are i remember once i think this was actually for facebook but i remember once there was a story when i was at the independent which said that if the terms and conditions were published in a book it'd be 120 pages so of course you don't read the terms and conditions because you can't be fucked mm-hmm. but the things that you agree to all the time when you want to like get an update from twitter from facebook from whatever spotify you are agreeing to shit which is taking away more of your rights than this album being in your library like of course and people and people just like the, i mean and some of it is truly shocking you know any photo you put on facebook facebook owns it mm. you know and and anything like 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 any content you put on facebook facebook own it and can do what they like with it that's that's far I mean, more I, of an invasion of privacy than this. I sometimes get I sometimes get a, a a text from people that I don't want, and I go, <laughs> yeah. "Oh fuck's sake, that is not an invasion of my privacy." That is someone texting me and me going, "I don't want to talk to this person." <laughs> you know, you are. No, you don't. You don't. You know, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if I don't respond to you, it might well be you. But you know, you just like, and and that's and so you can either go. Oh, for fuck's sake. Or not respond to it. Yeah. Don't have to listen to this fucking record. It's mental. Anyway, Billboard included it in their list of 100 moments that defined the decade, saying the failed strategy showed the perils of embedding music within technology so deeply and quasi-literally. And today, most Apple subscribers couldn't tell you a thing about Songs of Innocence besides the backlash, which is kind of true yeah the telegraph did a piece and called it the most idiotic launch in rock history in 2019 and um basically attributed two factors um to it being idiotic saying the determination of apple ceo tim cook to prove himself worthy of the groovy tech guru mantle he had inherited from his far more charismatic professor the late steve jobs and u2's obsession with being the biggest band in the world and i think that probably does sort of hint at it a little bit more um up rocks magazine printed a retrospective piece on this record in 2019 with some really interesting stuff to say about the album uh on it saying um it was a misguided idea blamed u2's failure to grasp the fundamental truth of modern consumer culture people now care way more about their phones than any individual album and um uh it was the biggest music related pr disaster of the decade 
but the backlash against you two is ultimately unwarranted given how media consumption habits have changed following the years technology along with listener habits also moved on just five years later the idea of curating a music collection on your phone is kind of quaint for the average listener in the streaming era every album appears on your phone week after week um the journalist then went on to say how he believed it was naive of people to criticise the band for potentially heralding in a slippery slope of soft rock doomsday scenarios, yet still expect their listening habits to be stream uh, listening habit. Let's still expect their own listening habits on streaming services such as Spotify, Apple Music to be private, saying, as listeners, we will freely give this information away with only faint recognition that this data is also commodified and sold to advertisers and marketeers, which is all, I think, very true. Like we've just been saying, the second you listen to a couple of things on Spotify, you get 50 other different recommendations for stuff chucked in at you all the time. Bands are always vying for your attention all the time, all the time, all the time. And this was just a much bigger band doing it. I got a fucking thing from Spotify the other day going, you're going to listen to this Adele album or what? Mm. and i was like no i don't think it was that aggressive was it <laughs> no i mean it basically was like oi oi adele's got a new album out mate yeah why are you why why what makes you so special that you're not going to listen to it everyone else is you've got to listen to this and i was like all right fuck off this is the thing i like these tactics are being employed by i mean i don't want to say musicians but certainly behind the record by the record companies behind musicians and stuff like that all the time now they're just being done in a far subtler way and so people are less aware that it's happening and therefore don't complain about it but you know the the, i suppose i mean i was about to say we've got ut to thank for that i don't think we do i think that would have ended up happening anyway i think it would have ended up going in that direction anyway if anything the backlash probably made some people go oh fucking hell don't do that again maybe maybe but then i also think you know when you look at i mean i i said earlier in this uh episode i think there's an argument to say it was the most successful marketing campaign for an album this this century and the fact that even the fact that we are talking about it now and the fact i mean i did say that like not many people really talk about this record anymore but you've you've just pointed out that there's been a whole ton of opinion pieces and people saying it was the most important record of the 21st century or or it's the worst record of the 21st century blah 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 there are people still talking about it and there are people who are doing comment pieces on it we're doing this episode right now and the only reason we're doing this episode is because of the way that it was released otherwise it would be a record that is a latter-day U2 record that is completely forgotten, just like No Line on the Horizon, and just like the other albums that they have released after this album, which I cannot even name you. I don't even know what they're fucking called, the U2 records that came out after this. But Song, I, songs of it, We'll talk about Songs of Experience in a minute. Okay. Which is the, the companion piece to this. Is yes. there another album after that as well that U2 no, released? No, okay. All right. So, But, like, I I didn't even know it was called that. But I know this record because of this, you know, because of the Ferrari around it. And I think as a result of that, (laughs) that's going to be considered a success as a marketing campaign. I guess so. There's no way we'd be talking about because this record is the, the album, the music on it, the content of the album is so bland. There was no way we'd be talking about it at all. And, and, consequently as i said before if you complained about this record publicly in a public forum on social media whatever you were playing into their get you were playing into their hands Mm. 
the best thing to do is just shut the fuck up <laughs> absolutely and that is true of most people not us though as for you two themselves well they split up after this didn't they and they were never heard from again just like guns and roses and green down developed chili peppers nah of course that isn't true the innocence and experience tour of 2015 grossed 152.2 million dollars and sold 1.2 million tickets worldwide so doesn't really matter does it doesn't really matter that a few people tweet remember that time when i had to delete the album boo <laughs> the band were set to release songs of experience his album's companion piece kind of weird that they would it's weird because this was meant to be the companion piece to no line on the horizon mm. and then it took so long that it wasn't yeah and then they released, so this is kind of they released a companion piece to what should have been a companion piece to another album weird anyway but also weird in 2016 they moved it due to the u.s presidential election they went away to work on the tone of the album to make it fit better around the public consciousness of the time. Again, rather weird. Um, mm. That album isn't that great either, but I have to say, having listened to it, I do prefer it to this record. It features Haim, Kendrick Lamar and Lady Gaga on it. And I would actually say the song Summer of Love with Lady Gaga is actually a good song. It's a great song, in fact, a really good song. Okay. And I do actually like it. And it's probably, post How to Dismantle the, the Atomic Bomb, probably the best U2 song huh? of the last 15 and a bit years so it's actually really great it debuted at number one in the u.s billboard top 200 there you go back to number one went to number five in the uk went to number one in belgium holland canada ireland portugal and went top 10 in 18 other countries the band toured stadiums in 2017 playing the joshua tree in full it was the highest grossing tour of the year pulling in 316 million dollars and selling 2.6 million tickets songs of innocence came out in 2017 went back on tour once again and did that tour which i saw them on they grossed insane money again 1.26.2 million dollars 924,000 tickets a residency at the o2 in london which is the one that i went to um they played all the early stuff at the start and then all the crap from the last 10 years at the end so i got an early night and a good night as well cheers for that chaps they went and toured the joshua tree in asia and australasia in 2019 before the pandemic hit and they have recently been teasing the release of the 30th anniversary version of actung baby which because you know i hate to break it to you you two you are a bloody nostalgia band at this point you are a nostalgia band and i think this was a valid attempt to stop you from being anything else other than that but let's just accept them for what they are now 30th anniversary of Acton Baby, cool. I'm happy to have a 40th anniversary of The Unforgettable Fire in four years. Fine. Tour that in full. Tour Acton Baby in full. Lean in on it. Do the fucking Joshua Tree tour as many times as you've got to do it. That's fine. But mm. on the basis of everything they've released, I'm going to say, I'm going to be really generous and say post how to dismantle the atomic bomb because actually, having listened to pop and um uh beautiful day whatever that album's fucking called i don't remember oh, now. and how all oh, we've lived yeah we lost to live behind and um i think there is actually a significant drop off from that period to this last period where it does get really really quite bad and so be a fucking nostalgia band mm. you've been around for fucking 42 43 years now yeah be a fucking nostalgia band it's fine yeah and broadly speaking as well though bono has never apologized to anyone for this stunt 
and has actually refused to do that on many occasions. And I think good for him. Why the fuck should so he apologise for it? No, he gave you a free album. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. want it, but you don't have to fucking listen to it. And it also so, sounds like the way that it was kind of released and put onto your phone was, was all Apple's fault anyway. So, you know. Yeah. Like if, so, if you really are annoyed about that, and there is no point in being annoyed about it, and just one last point, I'd say, um, in terms of their nostalgia band, I would say that for a very, very, yes, musically, 100%, absolutely, but in terms of looking at new ways to do things and stuff like that, they became, for a brief, brief, brief period of time with this record and the way that it was released, not a nostalgia act because they were actually doing something new. Not in terms of the music, <laughs> absolutely not but in terms of thinking about new ways look and you know what didn't really work but they tried well, that's it. it that's the final nail in the coffin exactly. no line on the horizon that they suddenly for the first time in their career it was like oh shit we're kind of old hat and no one gives a fuck yeah and they tried to combat it by doing this yeah. and everyone talked about it but the album itself was was wank yeah. and even though you know the last album still got to number one stuff but you know no one is going to be talking about you two you know, they won't be doing fucking Bonnaroo or um, uh, Coachella again like they were a few years ago. That, you know, I think that shit's gone. They'll be. I would be stunned if Songs of Experience in 2037 gets a 20th anniversary, yeah. you know, re-release or anything like that. Yeah, I'd be stunned. Mm. So. Very, very surprised. But where we put it, it's in the boring... In the boring lot, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I, it, it... there is one album that is standing out that is like a beacon, just like buzzing at me. The one album. Can you guess what the album is, Renfrey? No. It's one by Dirty Vegas. Ah. Really bland, boring, elect- you know, safe as fuck, soft electronic music with that kind of goes in one ear and puffs out the other. I have no recollection of that album at all. And I mm. feel, unfortunately, like I feel similar. You know, you look at Puddle of Mud and you go, you've actually, there's a few quite upsetting things on Rediscovered by Puddle of Mud. You look at Streets of Sky by the Enemy and you go, uh, that's bad. Or Pigeon Detectives We Met at Sea. Boring, bad. Mm. You know, but we've got like Lenny Kravitz and Emerson Lake and Palmer and you go, well, at least I can remember some stuff from mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I think, Streets in the Sky by the Enemy and the Pigeon Detectives, they sounded like, they sound like that thing that all those fucking bands sound like. Whereas one by Dirty Vegas, it is almost, like you say, you could listen to this album with another album one in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you'd probably listen to that other album more. I know you've argued in the past that these things are the same thing. And I think sometimes they can be. Um, but... Does boring equals bad? Like I said before, I think there are things on this, like, there are things on this record, you know, it's 50-odd minutes long. I think it's 48 minutes or something like that. And I didn't find it a slog or anything like that because I thought the production was nice and blah, blah, blah. And there are things about it that make it, like borderline pleasant to listen to i mean because personally well, yeah that's probably true of dirty vegas's one right i mean not sure to the same i can't i mean i can't remember it at all but i don't remember listening to dirty vegas one going oh the production's really good on this record i, I mean, no, no, I, mean no. I i i like i i feel like bad for example putting this album below black flag what the 
for example, because there are things on that record that I do think are constitute it being broken. Whereas this album, I don't think there's anything quote unquote broken about it. I, 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 so I was actually kind of thinking more around, you were thinking around 29, 30, which is where you have Dirty Vegas and The Enemy. I was sort of thinking more around 34, 35, where we have Black Flag, What the Madonna, American Life, or 36, Pink Floyd, I'm a Gummer. I think, I think, I mean, well, okay, so taking context into it obviously yes you could on one hand if you're a glass half full kind of guy Mm -hmm. you could go well look at all the success they had with this and look how much how many streams they got and look how successful it was and blah 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 the flip to that would be well actually a lot of people were massively turned off by it it ended up being something of a disaster for them and they've never really been it was the death knell of any hope they could kind of ever really have of being a relevant force within music again. I, I, I think I think short term it was a disaster. Long term, I don't think anyone. I think I, I don't think it did. If if anything, I think. So when the new U two album comes out, you think there's a possibility that people will be who aren't already existing YouTube, you think it, there's a possibility that it will come out and people will be like excited for it in the same way as they would be excited for th- that new Adele album or any no. or the Little Mix album or, no, 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 or no, something no. like that? Not at all. But what I'm saying is I think, I think people just not giving a shit about U2 would have happened way... Like, it would have happened way earlier if it weren't for this. And... I think this album would have gone... I think this album would have done well and would have sold well amongst, you know, U2 fans because they have a large fan base who will always go to see... U2 will remain a big band for their for the rest of their career because of the songs that they've built. That You know, they're, yeah. they're too big to fail from that point of view. But people wouldn't have been talking about this album on outside of the U, outside of the U2 kind of, you know... Uh, people who already liked them in a big way or they would have just like reviewed it and gone yeah it's fine whatever blah 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 and moved on um and i think it prolonged u2's you know bono was saying around no line on the horizon we need to find a way to be relevant again and u2 were not able to do that musically and so they found another way to do it and it angered loads of people but by angering people they became relevant again for a short period of time and i don't think that would have happened i don't think that would have happened at all i mean based on the music alone there's no fucking way it would have happened um if if they hadn't of course this ruckus and caused this you know all the all, all the commentators talking about it and all this kind of thing so i think that kind of I think we would have just had three U2 albums in a row where people were just like, well, it's U2, I don't like them. But this actually got people talking. Yeah. I'm happy to... Okay, well, I'm happy to put it below What The by Black Flag. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the... I think it increased the negativity and it also cut that cut that chord where it's like, yeah, yeah, like you say, people did go back to talking about them. But I don't think they made any new fans from this record. No, and I think if that was no. the, if that was the purpose of doing it, you know, they they got successful and then they got a huge backlash, and now they've had to just kind of accept. I think what is their fate of being a band who are, 
you know 40 something years old and no one really wants to hear new music from bands of that age group unless you know there are very very few bands or artists that bring out music in that age that age group that you go oh great i really want to hear new music by that person as we've discussed many many times before so i i but i do suspect that the purpose of this whole charade was just to get people talking about you two i don't th- i mean obviously they would have liked to bring on new fans as a result but i don't think that was the purpose of this whole thing and in terms of did, did that work absolutely it worked 100 percent. people fell for it hook line and sinker and and you know it seems like still are to an, to an extent is it better or worse than american life by madonna I think the lows on American Life are oh, lower, but I think the highs yeah. are higher. Yeah, um, and I think due to that, I'm happy to put it between American Life by Madonna and Black What There by Black Flag. That's sort of what I was thinking. I yeah. can't really, in all good consciousness, put it any higher, really, I don't no, think. No, 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 no. I, 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 I was thinking between Black Flag and Madonna. I'm putting it in, Renfrey. Cool. That's what I'm doing. Um, in it, look at you making you two go even higher up the list than I well, would have done. You know, I, I like I say, I, I think there's a a lot of I, I, I the fact that people moaned about it was a in some respects was a win. It depends on what way you look at it, but mm-hmm. I think it blatantly was a win in some respects. Not musically. Though. Not musically. No, no, it's fucking boring. <laughs> no, but it's but really boring. We wouldn't be talking about this record at all. I mean, no, I don't think it's bad enough. No, here's the thing: I don't think it's bad enough if it was just released for it, people for, for it to go. I mean, I think No Line on the Horizon's worse. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I've, I've just said that. I've not heard No Line on yeah. the Horizon, but the, uh, no, yeah. I mean, I, I, we wouldn't, we would not be talking about this record at all on broken no. records and there is an argument to say well we've just recorded an almost two hour podcast on it surely isn't that a win in some respects and the fact that we haven't placed it very high that's all a win isn't it in a way i guess it is there's an argument to say it, at least you know so. yeah well next week will be interesting uh we're back into scatological humor oh great frat boy frat boy nonsense with the Bloodhound Gang. Oh. Hefty, hefty fine by the Bloodhound Gang we'll be chatting about next week, which seems like some... some that's a hell of a drop, isn't it? <laughs> it's been quite a serious... We've been quite funny the last few episodes of Broken Records. And this has been quite a serious dissertation on the uh, the notion of what it is to be a rock band and a, a music fan <laughs> and a consumer and tech, big tech. and stuff. Next week, it's just going to be pee-pee and poo-poo yeah. in my... Dinky, winky, ploppy, plop, plops. Willies and bums. Good. Love willies and bums. Oh, good. Yeah. So, you know, look look forward to it. Mm -hmm. All right, good. Anyway, hey, thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate that. We'll be back next week talking about the Bloodhound Gang. And um, we'll be here with, with or without you. Doesn't matter either way, won't we? So. Fucking hell! <laughs> oh, I've done some. I've done some clangers when I've tried to, but that that mm. might be the worst one we've ever recorded on any of these was podcasts. That was pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, I hope you're having a I'm beautiful gonna... day out there. Oh. Shut up. Anyway, <laughs> see you later. <laughs>